a series called Lift. And as we've been talking about the fact that God has called us to lift the name of the Lord, He wants us to lift the name of Jesus as a church. I was thinking about that, um, that idea and I came across this funny little story about a conflict that arose between a pastor and the song leader. How many remember back in the days when they weren't called worship leaders, they are called song leaders? Anybody remember that? Anybody remember back in the day when worship was what you did between the songs? Come on, that was a long time ago. It's like you'd sing a song and then people would kind of worship and then you'd sing a song and things have grown. Our understanding of what worship is has grown. So this conflict that took place between the uh, pastor and the song leader, it, it got so contentious that it spilled into the services. The pastor got up one week and he preached and he said, you know, but God has taught us all to be givers. Well, then the, worship, or the, the song leader got up and sang the song, Jesus Paid It All. <laughs> the next week, um, again, the conflict was still going, and so the pastor just happened to preach on gossip. Well, then the song leader got up and sang the song, I Love to Tell the Story. <laughs> the pastor got so upset, he finally said, I'm going to quit. And he got up the next week and he said, I'm resigning from higher, from, not higher Pearson Church. <laughs> this is not prophetic, Okay. He gets up and he says, I'm resigning. Jesus brought me in and Jesus is taking me out. And then the, the song leader got up and sang the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It's pretty bad, isn't it? Yeah, all right. Listen, I'm just having a little fun this morning because we want to talk about the power of worship. We've been talking about it for the last couple weeks. And I want you to stand to your feet, if you will. We're going to read our theme verse. And as you stand, we have people joining us in our church that aren't here in the building, but they're in the Netherlands today. They're in Chicago today, New Orleans, Chicago. I'm sorry about the Cubs. Maybe next year. Although, go Dodgers. Come on, do we have any Dodger fans in the house? New Orleans, some Cajun food. We're glad you're with us. Bakersfield, Denver, Sweden. Man, all over the country and around the world. Will you welcome your church family that's joining us? Isn't that cool? Cool. Let's read this verse together. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 says, let me hear you. All of our campuses, Santa Paul, our network church in San Diego, Blythe, and so on. Let's read together. Ready? In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. You know, I told that story because of this verse. Sometimes worship becomes something that's contentious rather than something that unifies us. So today I want you to close your eyes and I want you to do what this scripture says. I want you to lift a hand. And I want you to let go of any anger, any frustration. Maybe today you're like, oh man, the, the lights move around at this church. I don't know about that. And, oh, they didn't sing that song that I liked. Maybe something just caught your attention to distract you. Why don't you just let any controversy, any frustration, any anger, let it all go because God wants us to be unified together to lift up his name. So Lord, we lift up the name of Jesus right now. And we say, God, have your way in this place. Awaken us to be people of worship. You created us to worship you. So Lord, we're going to make the main thing the main thing. This isn't about us, this is about you. So we lift you up. 
fact, before I say amen, will you take a moment and lift him up in your own way? Maybe it's to whisper a prayer. Maybe it's to say or declare some words out loud. Maybe it's to sing a little spontaneous, Lord, I bless you, I worship you. Come on, you worship, you, this is you, your moment. I lift your name, oh Lord. I bless your name, oh Lord. I worship you, I worship you, oh God. I bless your name. Father, we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody say amen. amen. You may be seated this morning. Last week we learned that worship is a window. And kind of the concept of the message was is that when you are in the presence of the Lord, it changes your perspective. The devil wants to rob you of the window, your ability to have vision, your ability to see clearly. I can see clearly now the rain has gone. That has nothing to do with the message. It just came into my mind right now. But what I will say is that God wants us to see clearly. And worship is a window. This week, I want to give you the next thought. And and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. And let me say, as I give you this point, it's simply this, that worship is a weapon. Come on, everybody say it with me. Worship is a weapon. You do realize that you're in a battle. There's a, a spiritual battle that's taking place. The Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. There is an enemy, the devil. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to steal. He wants to destroy. He wants to rob you of your vision, of your purpose, of your calling, of of the blessing that God's called you to in life. We learned a few weeks ago when Roger Archer was here that people aren't the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And sometimes we get caught fighting in the wrong battle, in the wrong realm. As I began to think about worship, I began to realize, and I want to take a few minutes to teach today, and uh, I might shift into preach, but I'll do a lot of teach, and and it's simply this, is that worship is a weapon. In fact, we saw that in the New Testament last week, right? That Paul and Silas were literally, the enemy was trying to shut down their ministry, put them in prison, and as they began to worship, God stepped in, and he, he... literally opened the prison cells and the chains fell off and opened the doors and they were set free from their prison because worship is a weapon. I want to show you in the Old Testament a few examples of this. If you're all with me, say amen. If you have a Bible or a phone, wherever you're getting your scripture, go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now as we're going there, I'll set it up. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, what happened is, is there were several nations that rose up and they wanted to come and destroy the nation of Judah. The, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Menuhites, the Mosquito Bites, I mean, everybody was after them. Anybody hate mosquitoes? They just had to throw that in. I think mosquitoes are the devil. Anybody believe that? Come on. I think that was the devil that did that. I used to live in Michigan. Sorry. I think it was, the mosquito was a state bird in Michigan. I don't know. It was, they were big. So these nations are coming against Judah. And so the king calls a fast, a time of prayer, and everyone comes together at the house of God at the temple, and they begin to pray, they begin to fast, and a prophet gives a word. And the word is this, the battle belongs to the Lord. You're not going to have to fight because God's going to fight for you. 
And so this is where we pick up on the stories. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21 says, So then the king appointed, what's the next word? Singers. Not the warriors, the singers. He appointed the singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord, and what's the next word? Praise. Praising him for his holy splendor. At the very moment, I'm going to repeat that again just to let that sink in. At the very moment, they began to sing and give what? So the moment they begin to praise, they begin to worship. What's the next word? The what? The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as the eye could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. See, when we read this story, literally as they began to worship, God began to fight on their behalf and destroyed the enemy because worship is a what? A weapon. Let me give you another example in the Old Testament. It's the story of Jericho. Come on, anybody heard that old song with the deep baritone that sang, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came a-tumbling down. So, how many of you have never heard that song? Be thankful, it's not a very good one. All right, I, it's uh, not my favorite. But the concept is good. And it was that as they were facing Jericho, the walls came tumbling down. And what Jericho uh, was representing is the thing that was stopping them from getting into their promised land. So Joshua needed a plan. God speaks to him and he decides that he's going to put the priests with the tabernacle, or not the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of the Lord. So now you have people that are cultivating and, and loving and cherishing and honoring and serving the Ark, the presence of the Lord, worship, leading the way, and then the army was behind them, kind of like what we saw in Second Chronicles. And what he told them is you're going to walk around the city one time and you're not going to say anything. The second day you're going to walk again. For seven days you're going to do that. On the seventh day you're going to go seven times. And after the seventh time when you hear the horns blast, shout. And that's where we pick up on the story. Just kind of giving you some examples in the Old Testament. It says when the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they what? Shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed. And the Israelites charged into the town and captured it. Now, I know maybe your first thought was, Pastor Jared, the first story you told makes a lot of sense. The singers began to sing, and suddenly the Lord fought on their behalf and defeated their enemy. But this one, that sounds a little different. It sounds like that, that they made a war cry. Because, you know, when you, I mean, haven't you ever seen Gladiator? Yeah. So if you watch Gladiator, they sound the horn and everyone goes, ah! and they charge in and defeat the enemy. And that's, that's what happened here, right? No, let's clarify something. Maybe you didn't know, but in those days in Israel, there were two types of horns. There was the silver horn, a horn made of silver, and there was the ram's horn. And when the silver horn was blown, it was a call to war. But when the ram's horn was blown, it was a call to celebrate and to worship. So now watch what happens. In this situation, literally, they call the people to worship. And as they shout in worship, the walls come tumbling down because worship is a weapon. The problem is, is there are too many of us that are so quick to fight. We're ready to be called to war when maybe God is calling us to worship. 
You're so quick to go after that spouse that you're not agreeing with. You're so quick to go after that coworker that, that has a different vision of how the company should go. You're so quick to fight in the natural when maybe what God wants to, to, to do is be people that, that quit fighting on our own and realize that we have someone who is there to fight for us because if God is for us, who can be against us? Maybe God isn't wanting us to be called to war. Maybe he's wanting us to be called to worship. Because worship is a weapon. In fact, I want to show you a verse in the Bible that is really profound. And it's one that I've not heard taught in relation to worship very often. But if you read it, you'll see it. It's pretty awesome. Isaiah 30, verse 32 says, every stroke, now let me just say, every time we, we grab a passage like this, obviously there's context there. It's talking specifically about maybe a specific nation at the time. But you know, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that everything that was written in the Old Testament was given for our spiritual instruction. So we can go into the Old Testament and we can grab passages and we can find principles there that, that uh, carry through into the New Testament that are there to guide us and grow us in our faith and give us spiritual truth. You all with me? You understand? So I'm not going to take time to dive into all the context today, but what I'm going to do is pull out the principle. And here's what it says. Every stroke the Lord lays on them with his punishing club will be to the music of the timbrel and the harp. As he fights them in the battle with the blows of his arm. How many grew up playing rock'em sock'em robots? Come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It was that game where you have two robots that are in the ring and there's these little, you know, things that you hold on to, right, handles. And what you do is you move them around like this and your robot moves around like this. And then you have a button on top on each hand and you push the button and the robot would go like that. Remember that? And the robots at the very beginning had heads that would go up into the air. So you would knock the head down and what would happen is you'd fight. And as you're going back and forth in the ring, you're like pushing the thing and you're trying to hit. And if you hit just at the right place at the right time and caught him on the chin, suddenly whoop, the head would go up and you would win. Anybody remember that? Now, I want to say that as we read that verse, maybe our thought is that's the way God is. But I want to just give a theological idea, and that is that what I'm not saying this morning is that every time you sing a song, every time our musician hits the, the, the crash of the cymbal, God isn't punching the devil. But here's what I am saying, is that when you and I are a people of worship, here's what we're doing. We're acknowledging that God is working for us. That when we're worshiping, what we're doing is we're realizing that the battle belongs to the Lord, not to us. That when we're worshiping, what we're realizing is that God is the one who can bring the favor and the breakthrough that we need. And so when we worship, we're not saying, okay, God, it's rock'em, sock'em robots and you punch them out because I don't like them. No, it's when we worship, we say, God, I thank you because I know you're in charge. And I thank you because I know that you are able to come against the enemy because when God is for you, who can even stand against you? Somebody say amen. It was good preaching, Amen stepped into the preach for a little bit there. Some of you are like, man, he gets passionate. Yeah, I get excited because I know the power. I'll tell you a story. Want to hear the story? How many say, I want to hear the story? Yeah. All right, good. There's enough hands. I'll go ahead and tell it. <laughs> so several years ago, we were in the situation where we were in another campus. God had blessed us to get that campus. There's only 12,000 square feet, and we had literally maximized every square foot of that property. We had a little auditorium that seated about 400, 450, something like that. 
And uh, we, we were out of space. We had multiple services like we have now. And it was like everywhere was just packed with people. We needed a new space. We needed a bigger building. The owner came to me and he said, I know you guys have an opportunity to keep leasing this space, but I have someone who's willing to buy the whole thing from me. So how about um, we find another location for you? Now, let me pause there for a second and say that most people know, and I've told the story before, but hang in there because there's one part that I haven't always highlighted. In this valley, it's almost impossible to build a church. It really is difficult. A campus, a place where you meet. Um, most of the laws that were set up by New Hall Land have CCNRs, which prohibit churches from turning industrial and retail buildings into churches. So it takes a miracle to have a church. And so my developer came to me and said, hey, we, we need to get you another building. Let's see what we can find. I said, I thought there isn't anything out there. And he goes, well, there really isn't, but you know, why don't you guys start praying? And he said, if we were to find something, what do you want? And I said, okay, well, here's what I want. We have 12,000 feet. I want 30,000 feet. Secondly, I want it to be in a better location. Come on, if you're going to ask, why not ask? Big, come on. I said, not only do I want it in a better location, I want it to be the same price that I'm paying for 12,000 square feet. And I said, and not only that, I want to be able to buy it. I don't want to just lease it. So he laughed. And then he said, okay, well, let's see what we can do. Long story short, he showed me this space. Someone had bought this, it was kind of empty, and we're taking, you know, taking a hit every month, and so they needed to short sell it, need to get rid of it. So he said, we're going to pray that if you'll pray with us that we get favor, if you'll t pray with us that we get favor with the county and with the city to make this a place of church, which by the way, several churches had come to this area to try to get something, and they'd been told no and no and no over and over again. So how many know nothing's impossible with God? So we start praying, and he comes back to me, he says, Jared, I got good news. I got 35,000 square feet. Your payment's the same that you have now. You can buy it when it's done, and it's a great location right on the freeway. 120,000 cars drive by it every day. What do you say? And I'm like, God is a miracle-working God. So I'm like, we're all in. We start getting ready, start planning. I'm about ready to announce it to the church, and I get a phone call. Same developer. And the developer says, hey, man, I don't know what to tell you, but the deal is dead. The deal is dead. I'm like, what do you mean the deal is dead? He says, I mean, like, it's, it's gone, dead. It's over. It's not going to happen. I'm like, why? And he begins to tell me the story about how that the person who owned it found out what the bank would take for it and then went back and raised cash. And it was a bank overseas and kind of went through a loophole and bought it back for himself. And he said, so I'm, I can't be a part of it. It's not going to happen. You know, we're not going to be able to do the deal. And when he got off the phone, something inside of me just jumped up inside. And here's what, what, what I felt in my heart. That building belongs to, to us. That building belongs to the Lord. So I sat down with my, my core of prayer partners that meet with me every week. And I said, guys, we've been praying for this building. Now, by the way, we had passed on another opportunity. It was the only opportunity in our valley that we'd passed on. And all my uh, prayer partner guys, they're like, are you sure, Pastor? This is a, are you sure? Are you sure? And in my heart, I knew that that wasn't the place. I knew God had something else. I said, guys, God's going to do it. And now God had done it. And then the devil was trying to take it away. That's what I felt. So I said, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go over to that campus and we're going to do like Jericho. We're going to walk around it seven times. We're going to lay hands on it. We're going to shout. We're going to pray. But the walls aren't going to fall down. We're going to claim that building for ourselves because we know it's, it's what God has given us. And so we did. We literally came over here. We, six in the morning, we walked around this building. Can I tell you, this is a big building. 
It's not just this building. It goes all the way down to the end. By the way, it's an interesting. We've only been in here four years, and now we've started taking up chunks of the building because we didn't just walk around our part. Come on, somebody say amen. So we start praying, and literally when we got done marching around this building, laying hands on this building, praying over this building, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, stop praying for it and now start praising me for it. And I remember telling the team, I said, okay, guys, we just need to start going, thank you, Jesus, for this building. Thank you, Father, and let's just begin to praise him. Let's just begin to worship. And we began thanking him. We began praising him. And I'm going to tell you that worship is a weapon, that God can do the things that you can't do, that God can fight for you even when you don't know how to fight for yourself. And what I want to tell you is that about two months later, the phone rang. It was the developer. He said, you're not going to believe it, Jared, but God is a God of resurrection because that deal, it's alive. It's alive. I'm like, what do you mean it's alive? We'll begin to talk about it. And God miraculously turned the whole thing around. The guy who bought it back, he hired that company to come in and take over and fill it. And then he gave him ownership of the building and made him managing partner so that he could fulfill every promise he made to us. And now we're here in this building. We've grown. We've reached more and more of this city because worship is a weapon. Somebody say amen. I truly believe that when we began to worship him, and we kept fighting on our own, and we began to trust God that the battle was his, that God began to do what only God can do. Amen? I gotta keep going. Point number two, you ready? Worship is a weapon. Point number two, worship builds a wall. Worship builds a wall. Sometimes when we think of worship as a weapon, we can think of a weapon as a offensive weapon. An axe, a gun, a knife, a spear, a sword. But did you know that sometimes the biggest offense is a great defense? Come on, all you football fans out there. If your team has a great defense, your defense is what carries you to the Super Bowl or to the playoffs because a big Defense is your best offense. As I began to study out worship this week, the Lord showed me some verses, and there's one in particular that was profound, and I want to show it to you, and then I'm going to give you an example in Scripture of how we see it play out. It's found in Psalms chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let me stop right there. Anybody flash back to Michael W. Smith when you read that right now? Is there anybody? Come on, remember that old song? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How many have heard that song? Isn't that cool? And oh, Lord, da, 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 da. I was going to play it, but I don't have time today. <laughs> anyway, it was a great song, and it came from this verse. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Now look what it says. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Leave that verse up for a second. Look at that. Through praise, through worship of children, your children, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Let me tell you real quickly what those words mean. The word Therefore, established means this. It means to lay a foundation, but it's a Hebrew word which also means to assign a duty or a responsibility to someone. And then the word stronghold means strength, might, fortress, protection. 
The word silence is a Hebrew word which means to cease, to stop, to, to cause to end. So now taking those meanings, let's read this verse again or let's, let's look at this verse. That literally what the scripture is saying, that God has assigned the responsibility to his children to praise so that he can build a fortress and shut down the enemy that tries to speak into your mind. Because you see, most of the time, the battle that goes on is the battle that happens in the mind and in the heart. He wants to jump into your mind and tell you you're never going to make it. He wants to jump into your mind you're never going to get out of debt. He wants to jump into your mind you're never going to fulfill God's calling in your life because you've blown it and your chance is over. He wants to jump in your mind you're going to be depressed forever. You're never going to make it through this valley. He wants to jump into your mind and destroy the purpose of God in your life. So what he does is he builds a stronghold around your thinking. But what the Bible says is that God has given you praise so that he can build a defense, a wall, to shut the enemy down. Wow. Our worship builds a wall of protection in our mind. It changes our stinking thinking. Come on. The enemy tries to build up this false reasoning and these false arguments where now when you look at Christians, you think everybody's a hypocrite. Now when, when you think something bad happens, you think God has forgotten you and he's not good. But when we worship, it tears down the stronghold of the enemy and it builds a different stronghold around our mind. In fact, I want to show you a verse that's pretty powerful. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We are humans but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons. What did we learn today? Worship is a weapon. We use worship, we, we use mighty weapons from God, not worldly weapons, to do what? To knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. You realize that when you worship, that worship releases God or empowers God or, or just God sees your heart and what does he do? He starts tearing down all of that negative, all of that improper, all of those correct ways of thinking and evaluating your circumstances and your relationships and your money and your situations. He starts tearing it all down because when you begin to worship, he starts to tear all the, the devil's lies and deceptions down. Why? Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. He starts setting you free and then guess what he starts doing? He starts building a new wall. In fact, I'm going to show you something, a story in the Bible. It's the story of Job. You know, I was, I was talking to Roger Archer, who was with us a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, when I first got saved, someone handed me a Bible, and they wanted me to read. So the first one I went to was the book of Job. He goes, I didn't know it was Job. I thought it was Job. And he goes, I was working in a strip club for my dad, and I needed a new job. So I thought, I'll start there. So let me tell you, it's not the book of Job. It's the book of Job. You all with me? It's about a man named Job. What's interesting about this story of Job is that Job was a worshiper. In fact, if you read, it says that he would always go to the place of worship and he would offer sacrifices. And not only for himself, he'd offer them for his whole family. He was a man of continual worship. And then we know in the story that the enemy comes, Satan comes and 
He ends up bringing hardship into his life and his plan is to make Job turn on God, curse God. And so Job ends up losing his family, he loses wealth, he loses all these things, but he never turns on God. He continues to trust in God. In the end, the Bible says that he sits down and he weeps and he worships. He worships in the beginning and he worships in the end and then God blesses him with double. Now there's a whole lot there that we could teach on and maybe one day I'll teach on the book of Job because it's a hard book to understand. But I will say this, there's, there's a part of the story, two parts of the story I want to highlight. The first is if you read at the beginning in Job chapter 1, it says that the devil stood in line at the throne of God. Isn't it good to know that even the devil has to stand in line when it comes to God? Secondly, when he gets to the father on the throne, he says, the father says, they've considered my servant Job. Another he was proud. He's like, look at, look at Job. Can I stop and say, I want to be one of those kind of Christians. That God says, hey, look, look at Jared. He fears me. Now watch what the devil says. It says in, in, in Job chapter one, Satan replied to the Lord, yes, he loves you, he fears you, but Job has a good reason to fear God. You've always put a what? You've always put a wall of what? Protection around him and his home and his property. And you have made him prosper in everything he does. Job's got a wall around him. Now here's what I find intriguing about that. As we read the narrative that God gives us, he gives us the narrative for a reason. And one of the things we find in the narrative is this. God doesn't mention the wall, the devil does. So can I step back for a minute and just get a little preach on? Can I do that? In other words, the devil knew about the wall because he couldn't have known about the wall because God didn't tell him about it. The only way that he could have known about the wall is that he tried to get through it but was unsuccessful. And maybe there's a point right there that you and I need to quit worrying about the little thing that got through the wall like our car broke down or the little thing that got through the wall because we got a call or a cold and start thanking God for all the things that never made it through the wall in the first place because God is a wall of protection. Somebody say amen. Woo, getting my preach on. Okay, take it off now for a minute. The devil had tried to get through the wall but he couldn't get through. So if you read in the story, God lifts the wall and Satan comes at him. And there's a lot there. I can't get into it. I'd like to qualify this story and bring you know, explanation to the whole concept, but you're going to have to wait for another time when I do that. But what I want to say is this, is that God built a wall through his worship because even though he lost everything, here's how it ends. The words of Job are, you give and take away. Read it. You give and take away, for the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What, it, what is that song of, of worship that's coming from the lips of Joseph saying? It's telling us that even when the devil comes at you in the natural, when you're a worshiper, God can build a wall 
around your mind and your heart that will not rob your peace, your joy, your passion, your fear of God. Listen, too many of us have a, have a life with no wall and the enemy keeps robbing from us, stealing from us because of the way we think, because of what we see. But I wanna tell you something, when you become a person of worship, it's like a window opens and suddenly realize, okay, God, I don't understand it all. I've lost much, but you're still good. God, I don't understand it all. And maybe I'm not where I want to be, but praise God, I'm not where I used to be. And I'm on my way to becoming what you've called me to be. And suddenly when you begin to worship, what happens is you see through a window, your perspective changes and God now starts to build a wall around you. And even when you've lost someone you love and people are looking at you like, why aren't you devastated? How come you can get up in the morning? You can say, because God is still good. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What does the Bible say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him, worship him, and he will make your path straight. I'm here to tell you today that too many of us are living depressed, discouraged, downhearted, when if we would just be people of worship, you would find this joy, this peace that's inside of you because worship builds a wall. Worship is a weapon and worship is a wall. I love this passage Psalm 18. You know, it's a song of worship. The Lord is my rock. My what? Fortress. And my Savior and my God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield. The power that saves me and my place of safety. You need a breakthrough? Maybe God isn't calling you to war. He's calling you to worship. You need to change your stinking thinking? Maybe quit letting the enemy build a stronghold that keeps you in and become a worshiper and let God build a wall. Changes your perspective. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 63, verse 1, I think it is, or maybe it's 61 verse 3. Go research it this week. It's a good, good homework assignment. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God wants to cover you with a garment, with a cloth. I think that's why one of the reasons why God says we should lift our hands in worship. Because when you have kids and they need to get dressed in the morning for school, what do they do? And what do you do? You grab your shirt and you clothe them. I think God loves us to lift hands because it's like going, go ahead, God, clothe me. Wrap me up. Why don't you just build a wall? Or maybe why don't you go to warfare? Just close your eyes. Maybe lift a hand right where you are right now. Maybe you're in the middle of some depression. Maybe you're in the middle of some fear. Maybe... You're questioning things. Maybe you're discouraged. To just lift your hand and say, Jesus is my rock. Jesus, you are my high tower. Even though I don't understand, blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and you take away. But I'm going to love you and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to love you and I'm going to trust you.
Jesus.